Welcome to Gestational Diabetes Club. I'm your host, Helena, dietitian, nutritionist, vegetable enthusiast, and big fan of strong coffee and dark chocolate. Join me here each week to chat about all things gestational diabetes. We'll cover everything you need to know about your nutrition, lifestyle, and all the messy bits in between so that you can feel empowered to optimize your blood sugar, grow a healthy baby, and create sustainable healthy habits to last a whole lifetime without the stress, overwhelm, guilt, or confusion. Thanks so much for joining me, and I hope you love it here. So today it is our first proper episode of Gestational Diabetes Club, so I thought that it's a good idea to cover what exactly gestational diabetes is, and we'll touch on why you might have developed gestational diabetes. And I'm assuming that if you're listening to this, you have been diagnosed with gestational diabetes, so you probably have some idea already about what it is, so this might seem fairly basic. But I really wanted to cover it because I know that for a lot of the people that I work with, of course they do have a bit of an idea, but... Often they say that no one in their care team has actually really sat down with them and explained to them what's going on inside their body and what this means for their baby. So it's always a good idea to just have a bit of a refresher and maybe fill in any gaps that you might have about what's going on and just help you to feel a bit more informed. And often I find that this can also help you feel like you have some more control over the situation and a better idea of how you can manage things. So like I said, I really hope that this episode does give you some reassurance and support. And yeah, let's, let's get straight into it. And we'll go back to basics a little bit. But the, the very first thing that I did want to say, because I feel like this is a huge myth that I hear all the time, the myth that you develop gestational diabetes from eating too much sugar and being really unhealthy and having a really unhealthy lifestyle. And it's just so not true. I just don't want you to feel guilty whatsoever for having this diagnosis because it's generally not your fault. I mean, I have to say there's probably a small lifestyle component to it but not in every situation. And the main thing that impacts whether or not you're going to get gestational diabetes is your hormones, right? It's primarily hormonal driven. And everybody who's pregnant has some level of insulin resistance. And we'll talk in a little while about what that actually means. Um, So it's not just you, everybody develops some level of insulin resistance. And for some people, this is worse than others. And it means that you have higher blood sugar. So don't beat yourself up. It's really not because you ate too much ice cream or toasties or cereal in the first trimester. It's not because you've just been eating crap during your pregnancy. So don't buy into any of that, okay? And you don't need to feel guilty about it. All you can do is just keep moving forward. So what is gestational diabetes? Simply put, it is having high blood sugar during pregnancy, which is a very, very um, basic definition, I suppose. And you already definitely know that. But the thing is that it's usually only during pregnancy. Often, um, your blood sugar levels will go right back to normal after you've given birth. Some people will need a little bit of monitoring after giving birth. Some people, their blood sugar will go right back to normal. If it doesn't, and if your blood sugar remains elevated after you've given birth, then it might actually be a situation where type 2 diabetes has been picked up on during your pregnancy. And that might be because the insulin resistance was exacerbated, or it might be simply because you did the test and then it was picked up on because otherwise you wouldn't have done the test, right? So, like I said, high blood sugar during pregnancy generally goes away after pregnancy. I think that the best way to explain what's actually happening is to firstly talk about what happens when we eat food without diabetes. So, let's just say you've had something to eat, like a piece of toast or a banana, and of course then we need to chew our food, and that starts off the digestive process. So, We release digestive enzymes in our saliva so that we can start breaking that food down. 
And then we start to swallow and the food gets broken down further and further and eventually gets broken down into all of its different molecules and the nutrients can get extracted and all of that. So anything that contains carbohydrate, and so we know typically carbohydrate foods are things like fruit, some vegetables like potato and sweet potato, um, bread, cereal, pasta, grains, dairy foods, all those sorts of things, they contain carbohydrate. And all carbohydrate is broken down into sugar molecules, okay? So we can use the terms sugar and glucose interchangeably as well, just so you know. But all carbohydrates are going to be broken down into sugar in your body. So that's an important point. So if you think about it, having like jelly beans, right, obviously it's like sugar. It's going to be broken down into sugar in your body. But so is like a whole grain piece of bread. So is a potato. The things that aren't sugary as such, they still get broken down into sugar in your body. And obviously there's, you know, there's differences to that because there's different qualities to different foods. And so you get different nutrients and fiber and everything and things like that can affect the rate that those foods are broken down into sugar in your body. But just for ease, let's just remember that all things will be broken down into sugar in your body if they contain some carbohydrate. So the body recognizes the rise in blood sugar levels and then it triggers insulin to be released from the pancreas because in our blood, we need some level of sugar to keep us functioning. We need that, but we don't need too much. And the sugar is actually better utilized in our cells. So it needs to get to our muscle cells and our brain cells and our liver. And just an important sort of side note here is that it's it's not that our brain alone needs about 130 grams of carbohydrate every single day just to function. So in food terms, that's equivalent to about eight slices of bread, which is quite a lot. The point I'm trying to make here is that our body actually really likes running off carbohydrates. We need carbohydrates. It's our body's preferred fuel source. So, you know, there there can be a lot of hate and (laughs) a hate around carbohydrates and people telling you you need to cut out carbs and go low carb and go keto, all of those sorts of things. But at the end of the day, what the research does tell us is our body really likes to run off carbohydrates. So we do need them. But anyway, what happens when we have the sugar molecules in our bloodstream is that the insulin needs to be released from the pancreas. So insulin is a hormone and a simple way to think about it is like a key that opens locks. So if we think that the cells are all locked, they've got a lock on them so the sugar can't just get in there freely. It can't just go into the cells when it wants to because they're locked. But the insulin is like the key to open the lock on the cells So the insulin floats along and comes and picks up the sugar molecules, takes it out of the bloodstream and goes and opens that lock on the cells so that it can be taken in there and used up for energy. So we can think better, um, we can concentrate, our muscles can work, we can do physical activity, all those sorts of things, or it can go and be stored like in the liver. So that's what insulin does. Um, And then, yeah, then we're good. We're good to go. So that's normal functioning. But when you have diabetes, things are a little bit different. So during pregnancy, it's thought that the hormones produced um, primarily by the placenta block the action of insulin. So the insulin can't do its job properly. So if we think about what's going on, I guess you could say that maybe it's like the, the keys, so the actual insulin itself, don't work as well. So like some of those old dodgy keys where you have to keep on trying to fiddle around with it to get it to open the lock properly. So the insulin might not be working very well, which means that it takes longer for the sugar to be able to get into that cell because it's taking ages to open the lock. Or kind of in the same vein, the lock might be faulty. So it might be really, really hard to open the lock and we might need to try a bunch of different keys before we can get it open. 
So again, it takes longer and we need to use more insulin to try and get into that cell. Um, and eventually what can happen there, so that's insulin resistance when we're like, okay, the insulin's not working. We need more and more insulin to try and achieve the same result. Eventually what can happen, and this is more so in a case like type 2 diabetes, is that the pancreas can get kind of worn out. It can get really overworked, which means that it doesn't produce insulin as effectively anymore. So we have less and less insulin coming to help out. So then it takes longer still because we don't have as many keys coming to take the sugar out of the bloodstream and into the cells. So, you know, a few things going on. And we don't need to get too overly concerned about the detail. The most important thing is to remember that insulin's not working properly. And so we need to do some things in terms of um, modifying your diet and your lifestyle to make sure that we're uh, giving you a slower stream of sugar into the bloodstream so that it doesn't get too high. Um, and then we're also doing other things like physical activity to reduce it down or we're using medication or whatever we need to do to offset that, uh, the, well, I suppose, to counteract the fact that the insulin is not working as well as it should. But let's talk through why that's actually important and what that means during your pregnancy and for your baby. So we don't want to have high blood sugar because in general that can cause some problems in your own body. So, for example, if you had um, diabetes in the long term, having high blood sugar can actually impact your blood vessels. So it can cause increased risk of things like cardiovascular disease. Um, and then you might have also heard of people who have diabetes getting things like ulcers or having problems with their eyes, those types of things. That's because the sugar can damage your blood vessels. If you're managing your sugar levels, those risks are minimised. In terms of your pregnancy and your baby, what's happening if your blood sugar is consistently high is that more sugar is able to be filtered over to the baby through the placenta. So we need some sugar to be able to get to the baby. And it's thought that biologically, you know, why you have insulin resistance in the first place during pregnancy is to make sure that enough sugar can be taken over to the baby so that your blood sugar is slightly higher, so your baby gets enough fuel to be able to grow but we don't want your baby to be getting this constant kind of drip feed of sugar because that means that your baby would need to be overproducing insulin to keep up. So it needs to like make its own insulin from its own pancreas to keep up with the amount of sugar that's coming in through the placenta. And that's an issue because then when your baby is born and the placenta is no longer drip feeding sugar because, you know, the baby's no longer getting the effect of your high blood sugar your baby's pancreas is still going to be producing the same amount of insulin. So your baby's now just relying on breast milk or formula feeds, doesn't have the constant drip feed of sugar, but it's, it's using too much insulin. So too much sugar is going to be taken out of its bloodstream because it's used to having a higher amount that it does now. And that means that your baby's blood sugar can go too low, which is really dangerous in itself. So we absolutely don't want that to happen. And eventually that would kind of um, regulate itself. But when a baby does have hypoglycemia, it requires much more monitoring and might need to have a longer hospital stay, those types of things. And then there's some thinking as well that your baby might be more at risk of developing things like type 2 diabetes down the track in its own life. Um, but I think we need some more research in that area. And then there's some other risks as well in terms of the actual birth. So if your baby is constantly getting that drip feed of sugar, it means that they're going to grow more than if they didn't have that constant um, supply. So if your baby keeps growing and growing and gets too big, then that's when things like um, having an early induction or a C-section might be needed. 
And that's because your baby being too big would make a natural vaginal birth a little bit more difficult and could potentially cause injuries to both you and the baby. So that's something that your team can communicate with you based off your growth measurements and things like that. Um, and then there's there's others more severe risks if things aren't managed. And I, I don't say this lightly and I don't say it to scare you either, I think, but it's important to recognise. But honestly, if you're managing things and your blood sugar most of the time is looking good, then these risks are not something that you really need to worry about. But of course, we have to say that if your blood sugar is consistently high, there's a risk of miscarriage and stillbirth. Um, so you need to be aware of that. But again, I think that's more of the situation if somebody was just completely ignoring the fact that they had gestational diabetes, were doing absolutely nothing about it to manage it, didn't care that their blood sugar was super high and not listening to their team. If that's not you, then I highly doubt that that's something that's on the cards. Never say never. Um, and I'm sorry if that triggers um, any thoughts or emotions in talking about those, those concepts. But it is an important thing to be aware of, okay? Again, not to scare you, just so that you know. But if you are being proactive about managing your blood sugar, doing all the right things, and you clearly are because you're here listening to this podcast, so I can tell that you're being proactive and want to do the best that you can, then we can minimise all of those risks. And essentially, if your blood sugar is managed the same way, well, sorry, you're getting the same kind of blood sugar levels as somebody without gestational diabetes, so everything's usually you know below those targets, looking good, then those risks are basically the same level as somebody who doesn't have this diagnosis. So keep that in the back of your mind. And the, the management is going to look different for everybody. I might as well say whilst I'm here. So if that means that you make some lifestyle modifications, so looking at your diet, looking at your exercise, your broader lifestyle, like your sleep and stress and things like that, or whether that means that you need medication or insulin, it's totally individual. And it doesn't mean that you're doing worse if you need insulin. It doesn't mean you're a failure. You don't need to be guilty about it. At the end of the day, you need to do the thing that's going to be best for your baby and making sure that you do get those positive outcomes. So do what you need to. There's no shame in any of it. And everyone just has a different level of insulin resistance. And actually, that reminds me, sorry, I forgot to say as well, that you yourself have an increased risk of developing type 2 diabetes um, later in life if you have had gestational diabetes. But not everybody is at the same level of risk. So it's that same concept that if you're managing things well and you're making appropriate changes to your lifestyle, if you need to then you can really minimise that risk as well. So let's talk about why you might have got gestational diabetes. And I have to say, like I said at the start, it's not your fault and you don't need to feel embarrassed or like a failure or any shame about having this diagnosis. And honestly, a lot of the risk factors are out of your control. So we don't know everything about why people get gestational diabetes, but what we do know is that if you're an older age, so let's say 35 or older, if you have polycystic ovarian syndrome, if you have a family history of gestational diabetes, if you've had gestational diabetes before in a previous pregnancy, certain ethnicities, so you know if you're from Asia or if you're Indian, if you're Aboriginal Australian or Hispanic, like there are loads of different ethnicities that are more at risk and obviously you can't control that. Um, and to some extent, your weight, so if you're in a larger body, that can also increase your risk. But for that one, I feel like I'm a little bit on the fence because it's more likely that if somebody has some really, I'm going to say, poor lifestyle choices, so if you have never looked after your health, you never do any exercise, you are constantly eating kind of rubbish and never thinking about your health in that way, then that's probably more of the risk factor to developing gestational diabetes. So 
that, again, that's not to say that you can prevent it necessarily, because if you are looking after your health and you're trying to do all of the right things before pregnancy and during pregnancy, you can still get gestational diabetes, but potentially you can minimize your risk by doing those things. And you can increase your risk by having a poorer lifestyle. So you, you like, a, you know, you can do everything right and still have it. It doesn't always pick and choose. And some of those things, like I said, they, you really can't change them. Like you can't change how old you are. You can't change whether you have PCOS. You can't change if you've got um, a family history. Can't change your ethnicity. So sometimes it is luck of the draw and that sucks. And it can be really hard to deal with this. And it can be emotional. It can be a really tricky time. But I just want to reiterate that it's not because you have an unhealthy diet or ate too much sugar. So you just, you can take that mental burden right away and just get rid of it. So that's kind of the overview of what gestational diabetes really is. And I think that we can talk a bit more about the management of things in future episodes. I like to keep these relatively short, I think, so that we can just do one thing at a time. And there's so much that we can cover in terms of how you can go about improving your blood sugar levels. Um, but I guess I'll try and leave you with a silver lining. And I know you might not be looking for a silver lining, but you might be able to reflect on it and maybe it will help some of your mindsets. But for a lot of people, having gestational diabetes can be almost a nice excuse or reason to start really trying to look after your health and to really start making some positive changes to your lifestyle. So look at it in the positive if you can and think about making changes that you can sustain for the longer term, not just while you're pregnant. And then that will just, that will pay off forever. And that will help you be a really good role model for your growing family and help you just feel fit and healthy and strong for ages, for years, for years. You can develop habits that can last you for your whole lifetime if you put your mind to it at this time. And obviously you probably need to be a little bit stricter now than you would be if you didn't have gestational diabetes in the future. But you can think about it in that way and think, okay, what can I do now that I can maintain and feel good about in the longer term? And the good news is as well that really the recommendations for somebody with diabetes are pretty much the same as the recommendations for the general population in terms of healthy eating and healthy living. So it's not like you have to do something that nobody else should be doing. Like we should all be looking after our health in a way that would be conducive to having, you know, normal healthy blood sugar levels. So keep that in the back of your mind. But I hope that this has helped you in some way. I hope that it has reassured you at the very least and giving you some understanding and insights into what's going on inside of your body. And yeah, I'll leave it here. But as always, I would love to hear your feedback. If you liked this episode and you would like to share it with somebody else, then please do. If you want to tag me and show me that you're listening and tag me on Instagram, I would love to see that you've been listening and whether you enjoyed it or not. And if you have any recommendations for topics that you'd like me to cover or questions, anything at all, you can send me an email or send me a DM on Instagram and I'll put those details in the show notes for you. But have a great day wherever you are and I will speak to you soon. Bye. That is it for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. And if you haven't already, please make sure that you subscribe or hit the plus button so that you can get new episodes delivered straight to your podcast app every week. And if you did find this episode useful, I would appreciate it so, so much if you could leave a rating and review or share it with a friend. It helps me reach more people so that I can help them take some of the stress out of gestational diabetes too. And if you want to keep learning about all things gestational diabetes, head to my website to find all the ways that I can support you. Thanks so much. Chat soon. Bye.